So in the couple weeks leading up to Easter, I always like for us to kind of turn our attention to relational topics because Easter is one of the best times for us to invite people who don't go to church to go to church. That is the one time in the year, that and probably Christmas or Christmas Eve, that, that's a really good opportunity for people who are, who are kind of in, in the mood, you know, and charged up and, and, and ready to come with you. So I hope you're turning your thoughts to that. And hopefully this sermon series over the next couple weeks, as Chip mentioned, will help us to think about some ways in which we are meant to be sharing our faith and being relational with others. I continue to be amazed at the housing market. I, I don't know, and I don't have any intimate knowledge. I don't have a best friend who's a realtor or, you know, I know some people who are realtors. I know some people who build houses and who are involved in new construction, but just driving through and around short pump, anybody with me? I mean, all these new homes that are going up. I love, I love seeing signs like, ah, new home starts in the 800s, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh yeah, I should check that out. Yeah. <laughs> No, I shouldn't. And, and then there's these townhomes and condos that are continually going up all over the place, especially as you push out more towards, towards Goochland. There's a ton of stuff going up there. And I'm thinking, I'm always thinking, who are, who are buying these houses? Where all of a sudden, you know, there were no houses there and we were perfectly fine, but now they're there and there are going to be people that fill them. And I'm sure, I'm sure they know what they're doing and I'm sure they're going to be filled soon. I, I've had some friends who are selling their houses right now and some friends who are looking to buy a house right now and it's completely foreign from anything that I've experienced. And some of you, depending on you know, what time of year or what the market was like when you bought a house, kind of know that or have kind of seen that. I know a couple who found their dream home along with like 50 other people. And so they found the perfect house. It's like, oh, this is the one we want. They, they walked in. This is a guy who collected some things and uh, saw that this homeowner collected the same type of stuff. And he was really excited about it. I mean, had, had a, like a perfect room just for those things. Like, this is it. This has got to be the house. And so, you know, you, you get the note from the, from the realtor and, and they say, give us your highest and best offers. And, and they were like, well, we thought we did that already. And, and you know, everybody else is going to be putting in and anybody that's been through that kind of knows, knows what's, what's about to happen. You know, you're going to get outbid. And what they did though, it's interesting how, how times make you be a little bit more creative maybe than you ever had. What they did is they wrote a letter and they just said how much the house would mean to them and, and how they would use it, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. And then they, they included one of these things that this person collected. They included that with the letter and they, they sent it in and they waited a couple days and wouldn't you know it, they got the house just because they connected with those people. Some of you I know have had that, had a, had, actually I know somebody here right now that has done that before, yeah. And, and I was talking about somebody else, so right, there's two, there's two, uh, two families that, that have done that where that's worked out. It still doesn't make sense to me to waive an inspection, you, you know, all that kind of stuff, but people are getting creative out there. It used to be a little bit nor, more normal that a house goes on the market, it's there for a while, you can go check it out maybe one or two times. Maybe they have an open house on a Sunday, and so you just have a bunch of people coming in, they put, you know, realtor bakes cookies, or at least they, w they w should, you know, bake cookies, and so the house smells amazing as you go in there. It's a, it's a little bit different now, but you could check out a multiple ones before you settle down on one and begin the buying process. Think about your first home, or think about your first apartment, or maybe your first dorm room, what, what, whatever it is, your first place where it was kind of your space, you were on your own, and how exciting that was what it felt like to have that space, what it felt like to think about all the things I'm gonna to do to it. You know, I'm gonna put posters on the wall or oh, hey, we're gonna paint this room or hey, we're gonna set this up. This is gonna be the nursery or you know, whatever the thing is. Think about all the plans that you had. Think about the yard that you get to 
you know, have and, and make your own. You get to mow the grass. I enjoy mowing grass. So you get to mow the grass. You get to plant some stuff. And just how exciting and fresh and new all those things are. You go through such a range of emotions when you get into that new place, especially when you buy a house. You get really excited and happy. Maybe you get a little stressed as the paperwork goes. You get sad when you sign the paperwork at the end. And, and the reason I say that, if you don't get sad, I'm not sure you understand what you're doing when you're signing, <laughs> signing your name to all those mortgage papers and that mortgage amount. And, you know, so there's all kinds of things that, that, you, that you deal with. If it doesn't make you a little bit queasy, <laughs> you know, it, it, it did me, you might not know what you're doing. And then when it's finally over, you get all moved in, there's this feeling of relief and comfort and stability. And now you get into the process of putting down the roots, you know, get about the business of living, no matter how modest or how fancy, you know, just knowing where you're going to put your head down at night. I mean, that's an invaluable box to have checked in life. Of course, the, the grass does continue to grow here in Virginia, so that keeps needing mowing. And, and we do have trees here too, and so the leaves are going to fall in the fall, and the toilet will get clogged and clogged and clogged especially if you have three kids. And the old wallpaper are going to need scraping. And there's the dusting and the vacuuming and the organizing and the maintenance and all the things and all the joys that come along with home ownership. It's funny, uh, you know, how we, we get really excited about something. We have all the ideas that we have. And then, you know, those things can shift just a little bit. And we kind of temper that excitement when those things come along. And we, we know we get tired of it because we go from an apartment to a starter home to the forever home, and then we're like, nah, this is not forever. We need to downsize. Like, this, this, is, this is too much to clean, too much yard to cut. And, and we'll go through those changes, and our usage needs shifts with what we're doing in life. There are two things, however, that will always remain the same when it comes to the place that we live, no matter how big or small or plain or fa fancy. The first is this. Our home should be a safe and comfortable place for those who live in them. Yes, uh, those terms can be relative, but we're primarily, we're talking about relationally rather than what our financial means are able to afford to us in, in the home. We're talking about being together. It doesn't mean that there aren't chores to do. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be conflict, but it doesn't mean that the way that we go about these things, the way that we go about living with our family and, and together, they matter and they should be a safe and comfortable place for us. And it's not just one's person, one person's job to make this ha happen. Everyone in the household, whoever's there, uh, whether it's you and your cat or you and your 15 other closest family members, it's all of us, we partner together to make these things happen. I don't think that's too controversial, but it is non-negotiable. Here's the second one that I think might be a little bit more controversial this morning. Maybe, if not controversial, definitely less comfortable. The second thing is this. Our home should be an open and welcoming place for building relationships with others, including those who don't live in our home. Now, I know I'm entering some dangerous territory here by making a statement like that. I mean, a man's house is castle, right? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a special place. You know, get off my lawn. I'm, I'm at that point in my life where I, I get that. I understand that sentiment. And, and I'm not suggesting that you need to have a revolving door for all the strangers that exist in your life. But even kings have used their super secure fortresses and castles, you know, guarded with boiling oil and moats to host allies and sign treaties, right? So there's, there's, there's a different idea there maybe than what we expected 
when we have our places that we call our own. Maybe, maybe when you bought your house, that was one of the purposes that you originally had. You think, oh man, I'm going to grill out all the time. We're going to have people over. We've got perfect space for entertaining. We've got this porch. We've got this you know, deck. We've got this big dining room, whatever the things. Uh, but I suspect that most of us either haven't followed through with that as much as we expected because we get busy, see the last four-week sermons that we uh, just went through, or perhaps we've gotten out of the practice over the last couple years. And it makes sense. We get pulled into routines and priorities and upkeep and maintenance that make entertaining less than effortless. Now, if you're the person who keeps your house spotless all the time, that anytime somebody can just walk in and it's perfect, kudos to you. Um, we do say no perfect people allowed um, at, our, at our church, but I'm, I'm just kidding. We, man, that might have been taken a little bit more seriously than I expected. You know, but when we entertain people, we've got to clean, we've got a meal plan, we've got to get into hospitality mode, a lot of prep work to be done. Even if it's just casual, you don't want laundry all over the place, you don't want dishes in the, in the sink. And so there are plenty of distracting reasons for not opening up our homes to others, but when we don't, we also miss out on the relationships that we need with other people. We're healthier when we're around others. Our brains work better when we're around others, which explain some things maybe for us. Uh, even the annoying things that we might deal with when we're around others are opportunities for us to grow and to be less short-sighted in our lives. We're simply better together and we're happier when we're living alongside other people because we are wired to be with. We are created to be with God and we are created to be with each other. Maybe you're out and about with people all the time, you know, because of your job or because of a hobby that you do or something that you have going on in your life. There are plenty of other communal spots for this to happen, right? It doesn't have to be in my home because I can go out to a restaurant. I can go somewhere else and, and do something else. I can play volleyball two nights a week, whatever, whatever it is. I, I do that. So uh, there are plenty of activities and hobbies to engage ourselves with other people. So why is that not good enough? Why does it have to be in the home? I guess it doesn't have to be. You know, twist my arm. Do we have to go through and say, does it have to be? Why should it be? Because all these other things that we do are just distracting. They're distracting focal points where they become more about these other things and then you have to, stuff that you have to do for those other things rather than, rather than the relationship, rather than the other person who's across for us. Not that any of those things aren't good. But absolutely, let's be a part of those things. Let's, let's do these things all part of uh, being supplemental, though, to the interaction that we have with, with other people. There is an intrinsic value to people, J just the fact that you exist. And it's good for us relationally just to enjoy that with each other, just to be with you, not because we have some other reason, not because we have some other task to perform, but just because we're, we're together because God created us to be together. Just a few, look, this doesn't have to be all the time. Just a few weeks ago, we were over at a friend's house. Our kids were playing together. We were hanging out, having dinner together, just spending time. I mean, I'm still kind of living, living off the high of that. I mean, it's not something that we have to do every, every, uh, every week where we have people over. It doesn't have to be fancy. We're just hanging out, enjoying one another's company, and just recognizing that we were created in God's image, and we are part of how God means for us to enjoy him. Now, the reason for this goes a little bit deeper than the benefits that we receive. Yes, it's healthier for us. Yes, our brains operate better, all those kinds of things. But there's a deeper reason, an even greater purpose, and a higher ethic at stake as we enjoy one another's company. It's how we share our faith in God with each other. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5. This is part of his larger teaching that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he says in verse 14 in Matthew chapter 5, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As Jesus is teaching this, he's talking to a crowd of people that are part of his family, the family of God, the Israelite nation who God set, set apart. And so if this is how Jesus is describing how they are to think of themselves and their interaction together and with others, they are the light of the world, this is how other people see God, how much more does that mean for us as disciples of Jesus who know God's character and nature more intimately because of him and because of our relationship with him and how Jesus enables us to be with, with God? And this, this, the implications that this, this text has for how we're called to live among each other is, is substantial. So let me emphasize a couple things in the text here. Jesus says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. Just, just let that hit for ju just a second. You're the light of the world. How big that is, how massive that is. Small, small caveat though, before eagles, egos, eagles inflate too much? That'd be interesting. Before our egos inflate too much, or maybe perhaps we begin to feel too much pressure. The light that we emanate, it doesn't come from us. And it isn't sustained by us, but is reflected in the character and nature of God as he works in and through us and as we reflect Jesus to other people. And we are meant to shine. You, you, you are the light of the world. All right, second thing. Jesus says at the end, you are the light others need to see God. You are how other people see God. Weighty stuff. And again, a small caveat. God doesn't need us to develop and sustain faith in other people. But the way that Jesus changes our existence through our discipleship to him is how God creates us to live with him, which in turn leads other people to him. It is a natural purpose and byproduct of who we are because of who Jesus is. We need this among each other, and we need this among our family and friends who do not know Jesus. Throughout his life, Jesus always ends up in somebody's home. He's, he's always traveling somewhere. He doesn't have a place to stay of his own, but he's always visiting someone, having a meal with someone, going to somebody's house and hanging out. And the early church carries along the same example. They encounter Jesus weekly in their homes together. It's a practice that's no less important for us today. As we open up our homes and encounter Jesus and share Jesus with others, something that we model together as a church through our small groups, we say, hey, we're meant to get together and experience Jesus together and share Jesus with each other. And it's something that we should be practicing individually as well. And we need each other because we need to see God's, God's work in our lives. And this shines as the light of the world before others. So we can't hide it. We invite people in for this to work, and our homes provide the space for this to happen. In college, uh, the college that Renee and I went to, they had a couple different choirs. There was one called Choral Club, and it was just anybody that came in. She came in a freshman, it was kind of tradition to join that. And you'd have a week where you'd go around travel. And there was another group called Masters 12. It was kind of an invitation thing. And Renee, humble brag, I guess, is why I'm bringing that up. Um, Renee and I got invited to be a part of that. So we did the same thing. So we've got these opportunities where we travel and do these things. And as we did, I think I've got a picture, actually. Isn't that, isn't that something? Isn't, yeah, I know. I think the same thing when I, when I see some of those. Um, one of the things that would always stand out to me as part of that is as we travel around, we would go to different churches, we'd go to different, 
different places to do this. And every night we would be hosted by that church, which meant that they had an announcement at some point in, in the church service and said, hey, we need some people to volunteer to house some strange strangers that are also college kids and you need to feed them and let them sleep in your house somewhere. And then, you know, they'll go, go along on their trip. And people, let me tell you, because I lived it, people volunteered for that. I mean, brave, brave men and women said, yes, we will take these, these college students, say, we can take this many students, and they would come over, they would feed us. And it was, I mean, so many strange and wonderful stories came out of that. Um, none, none that I'll share this morning, because I'm not sure what the statute of limitations is on, on that. Um, but, but, but it's just, just one of those things, just to see the community of Christ and how, how, how that operated. It seems to me that those kinds of things have become a little fewer and farther in between, though. Um, not that I don't think that we have good intentions with the space that we live in. I just don't think we seek out the opportunities nearly, nearly as much. I mean, you watch Little House on the Prairie, you know, and people are coming over the house for dinner all the time, you know, because they weren't distracted by all the other things that they had going, going to do. And they had plenty of work to do, but they had less time sucks in, in their life. You know, the minister that was traveling around, he was always over at their house, you know, on Sunday, Sunday afternoon. Yes, I'm inviting myself over to your house for Sunday lunch. No, I'm, I'm not. But it was something that continually happened. And, and, and it's fine that things change. And, and I, I get that. I mean, it's, it's fine that things change. But it, always is a, it, it is always a wise thing to think about why they have changed and what we might be missing as a result of it. That if we don't gather together regularly and share just because of the intrinsic value of who we are as people created in God's image, uh, the light of God shining through us as we gather together, you know, if we're, if we're missing out on that, that's worth some, some self-reflection and some consideration. Especially because the reason it doesn't happen as much is not because we don't enjoy the, doing those things. I've never gone over to somebody's house and been like, you know what, I never want to hang out with people ever, ever again. Um, I, I've always enjoyed those things. Why? Because I like food. And I like having fun. You, you know, I mean, it's just, just part, of, uh, part of the thing. Sometimes food more. I, um, but the reason that we miss out on it most of the time is because we are distracted. Why are, do, why are we distracted? Well, this will be my second reference to the previous sermon series that we just went through called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. You can, you can check that out if you, if you missed any of those the last, last four weeks. What do we lose, though, when we're distracted? Well, when we're distracted, we get dis- disconnected. And that, that's, that's what happens. Jesus says in Matthew 5, it'd be dumb to light a lamp. And I don't know if you knew that Jesus said things were dumb, but he did. And he said it'd be dumb to be at home at night. You light a lamp so you can see and then hide it under a bowl. It's like, that, that's, that's dumb. Why would you do that when the whole point is for people to see? Distractions in life cause us to become so preoccupied with a lot of little things, which cause us to disconnect from the really big, important things. All you need to do to prove this out is go drive. And you wonder, you look at this car and you wonder, what in the world are they doing? They're swerving all over the place. They're changing lanes without signal. You know, what, what's happening out here? They're slowing down. They're speeding up. You finally, you pass them because you're like, I don't want to be anywhere near this person. You look over, they're checking their email. <laughs> you know, they're just catching up on Facebook while they're, while they're driving. When we get distracted, we get disconnected. And what we're disconnected from when we're distracted from living among one another is, you know, we, we spend our time on unnecessary things uh, while the best things are right there waiting for us. 
In Luke chapter 10, Jesus makes a house visit that illustrates this point. Um, some of you have grown up in the church, you've heard the story before, or maybe you've been quoted this story before because it's about two sisters named Martha and Mary, and this comes from Luke chapter 10, and Jesus calls out one of them for how they were being distracted and what led to disconnection. So I'll read for you Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And when Jesus says this, it, I, I imagine this, that Jesus, you know, I don't think he's calling her out in front of everybody. I think he's maybe, maybe he kind of pulls her aside, or if not, just very gently and sympathetically, you know, shares, shares with this Martha, hey, I understand, I understand what you're saying, but, but you're missing out on something. And it wasn't that Martha was doing anything wrong, inherently wrong. She wasn't. Uh, house preparations for guests is a way to honor them and a way to value them. Jesus is traveling with a group of disciples, and Martha had invited him into her home. And so she was making preparations. She was figuring out where everybody's going to sleep. She's making sure that things were swept up in the house. I'm sure she was doing some meal prep. I mean, it wasn't these things, oh, we got a company coming over. Let's just drive down to the grocery store and get some fried chicken or order some pizza and have it delivered. I mean, that's, that's not how those things work. And so hospitality was something that was taken very seriously uh, um, and and she was she was doing all the right things, all the good things in that in that moment. So we, we won't pick on Martha too much because we've all been in her shoes in, in those moments. We've all gotten caught up even in the good things that we're doing, so much so that we forget why we're really doing those things and what it's really about. Even in the good things that Martha was doing to prepare, as Jesus pointed out to her, she still she still was kind of missing out on the point. Because she was worried, and she was upset, and she, she was really missing the moment that was there. She was allowing those things to distract her from what really mattered. And that was the time that they had to spend together with each other. When we get distracted, we get disconnected. There's always going to be something to do. There's always going to be something to concern ourselves with. But if we don't pause that activity to recognize that it is in service of something greater, and that should be why we're a part of it anyway, it's meant to be experienced with community, then we'll miss out on the light that is shining in the darkness, maybe right in the next room. Mary chose what is better, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to what he said, a place normally reserved, not for a woman, but for the teacher's mentees, his disciples. And here was this opportunity to be with Jesus, with his closest followers, and while what Martha wasn't necessarily doing something wrong, aside from being worried and upset and all, those, all of those things, she was missing out on experiencing Jesus together with her fellow believers. And that's why Mary had chosen what was best in, in that situation. When we're distracted, we di get disconnected. And when we get disconnected, our light dims. Some of us... Even if we haven't recognized it in our life, we've seen this happen, and we've felt this, even if we haven't attributed to this, where we find ourselves, maybe because 
Um, you know, we're anxious, worried, stressed, uh, depressed. Um, we're, we're lonely. You know, we find ourselves, whatever the situation is, whatever, whatever's happening, maybe it's a global pandemic, we find ourselves isolating, we find ourselves separating from being with other people. And, and when that happens, there is a change that comes over us. There's a way that we are affected. I was talking with a teacher last week that said um, that this is the worst, worst year for their students they have ever, ever experienced in their whole entire teaching career just because of, of how kids are experiencing the world and how they have over the last, over the last few years. And emerging out of that, recognizing, you know, the, the risks inherent within that of, of being disconnected from one another, um, maybe that's not something that we see in the immediate, but it's something that has long-term effects in our lives. And emerging out of that isolation can be, can be pretty difficult, especially if we don't recognize what, what's happening. Sometimes our isolation is self-imposed, like Martha. You know, we're caught up in a flurry of activities over what we're worried about, over what we're upset about, rather than the light that shines in our lives because of the good news of Jesus. And maybe we don't even recognize that we've done it because our time is filled with our responsibilities when we're around people. You know, all the good things that we have, have going on. But we, if we haven't passed, here, here's a great litmus test for you. If you haven't passed the surface level in your relationships with the people that you're around regularly, then it's time to set up a time to have a real conversation with someone and have a real time of interaction and, and an opportunity to build community with the people that you're around regularly. And here's, here's what I'll say, you, you gotta start somewhere. And so I, I'll tell you right now, and, and some of you are gonna, no, I'm absolutely not gonna do this. And look, there's no, no, judgment, no judgment here. Um, you have a perfect opportunity right now to go stand really awkwardly in the lobby after the service and just kind of hang around and see who else is standing around awkwardly in the lobby after service. And you're not gonna know if it's their first time here and you're not gonna know if they're a regular and they've been here for 10 years. And, and you could just hang out and you could see, you know, who, who's another awkward person that would be willing to just hang out and maybe go grab some lunch. You know, you gotta start somewhere and, and somebody's gotta make the move. I mean, somebody's gotta, somebody's gotta Make, make, make it happen. I'll tell you, I, I'll, I'll make it easy on you. Uh, my kids are going to be in, in youth group, and we're going to hang out, and we're going to have lunch. I haven't even talked to my wife about this. It's okay. She's teaching the kids, so she's not in here to hear this, and I'll tell her later. Um, <laughs> but we're just going to grab lunch, and we're going to bring it back here, and we're going to eat right back here in the corner. And we do that every once in a while, and we have a few people that, that tend to do that. And so we're just going to do it. We're just going to be here. So if, if you want you know, sit across from somebody awkwardly and watch them eat, you know, you're, you're more than welcome to, to join us. At some point, though, you got to step outside of that comfort zone because maybe the, the comfort zone that we've created for us is not nearly as healthy and protective as we think it is. Maybe it's isolated us from the very best things that God has created us for, it, for us to experience. And the very best things that God has created is us. And we looked at humanity, he said, very good. And, and we are the light that shines to each other. We see God at work in and among us. And for, for those that don't, don't know him, we are the light of the world. We are the light that others need to see God. It's not just a healthy, holistic practice for how we've been created. Our, our community and our good deeds among each other, how we glorify God and help people find Jesus and love God in their lives. And when you're a follower of Jesus, you have a bright light to shine as we reflect the light of Jesus 
in our lives. Let me encourage you to open yourself up, maybe open your, your house up to that in the lives of those around you. Let's pray. God, some of the very best things that you've created for us to experience maybe are, are some of the more, more difficult things. Maybe the things that we fall out of practice of, maybe um, habits that we haven't learned to develop, maybe just things that we get distracted from. And God, we, we ask that you help us to be mindful of, of why you call us to do the things that you do. It's not just a box to check, it's not just a hoop to jump through, but it's, it's actually how you've created us to experience the most joyful and the most happy uh, life, the most fulfilled, purposeful, meaningful uh, way for us to, to exist. God, we ask that you help us to uh, lead us into maybe some of the conversations or, or uh, situations or places that we need to be in where we can just enjoy one another's company, intrinsic value, and, and share in those moments of uh, just life-altering and life-changing uh, relationships. God, we thank you for um, keeping us on track and recognizing that you call us to a communal faith, one that's meant to be shared and experienced with others as you are with us. God, we praise you for that. We glorify you for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.